0: For Thursday, June 4th, 2020, this is Did You Wash Your Hands? Or a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Health Reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, the nation's top public health agency has found in the early days of the pandemic, lots of people just stopped going to emergency rooms.
1: We want people to know that they should not hesitate to get emergency care for something like a heart attack or a stroke. And we want them to call 911 and go to an emergency department for those life-threatening conditions.
0: Kathleen Hartnett, an epidemiologist with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, joins me to talk about the report, which she helped write, and what its findings could mean for people's health. That's next.
1: Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at
0: georgiahealthinitiative.org. A report out this week from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention here in Atlanta shows a significant decline in emergency department visits during the early days of the pandemic. The agency warns that could result in worse health outcomes for people with serious medical issues like those having heart attacks or strokes. Kathleen Hartnett is an epidemiologist at the CDC and senior author of the report, and she joins me now for more. Kathleen, thanks for taking the time to speak with me.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: To start, I'm wondering if you can just walk me through some of these kind of top line findings from this report put out this week about how emergency department visits have been impacted uh, by the pandemic. So our
1: National Syndromic Surveillance Program was set up to capture data from hospitals across the U.S. in real time. And we started noticing very striking declines in the number of emergency department visits nationwide. When we looked at a four-week period that was between March 29th and April 25th in 2020, the four weeks when visits were at their lowest, there were 42% fewer visits than during a comparison period, which was March 31st to April 27th of 2019. And in in the history of our program, we had never really seen drops like that before. It was truly unprecedented. We were seeing these drops throughout the country. They were sharpest in the Northeast, where the pandemic was most severe. And they were also largest among children, uh, 14 and younger.
0: 42%. If we can just kind of sit with that number for a minute, What was your reaction to kind of seeing that large a decrease? I think there's maybe been an anecdotal sense that people were seeking less care because of this pandemic. But 42 percent is just it just seems so striking.
1: It is very striking. And, you know, as we saw it, we were seeing it in real time live in our system. These data come in electronically every day. We saw these drops and then we just saw them absolutely fall off a cliff in late March and, you know, immediately began trying to understand more about why this might be happening and what it might mean.
0: Do we have a sense of how this breaks down by condition? Break that down for me if you could. What kind of conditions y'all, y'all were seeing not reported?
1: So we used diagnostic categories, and we looked at the top 200 most common categories of those codes. And of those 200, there were only eight categories where there was any increase in our period in 2020 compared to 2019. Um, So the rest of them were either approximately stable or declined. And the categories that declined the most sharply were things like musculoskeletal pain, that was not low back pain. We saw big declines in ear infections. We saw declines in sprains and strains and superficial injuries. We also saw things that were concerning to us like declines in visits for nonspecific chest pain and declines in visits for uh, acute myocardial infarction, which is a heart
0: attack. Should we assume that fewer heart attacks are happening? I mean, we we think of an emergency department as really being the first place that people go when they need very, you know, serious health intervention. So can we assume that there are just fewer heart attacks happening or people just not coming in? Do we know that?
1: I don't think that we know that, not from this analysis, but um, that's what we're working on now because we think it's a really important question to answer. And I know that we're planning some additional work that we hope to share with the public really soon on that. I think that there are many factors that are driving that number. You know, some of the other things that we're seeing are declines in categories like sprains and strains and superficial injuries that really can be managed through primary care. And then you know, we also know that life in the U.S. has completely changed for all of us during this time. Um, you know, fewer people are going to work or able to work. We have daycares and schools that have closed throughout the country. And, you know, so as people were protecting themselves from COVID-19, they may have also had less exposure to things like colds and flu and other respiratory infections, to motor vehicle crashes and, you know, even injuries from sports.
0: You mentioned that y'all did find an increase in in some conditions people were were visiting emergency departments for. Tell me a little bit about what you found there.
1: Our eight that increased were the top increase, actually nearly four times higher than what we saw in 2019, was for a category called exposure, encounter, screening, or contact with infectious disease. So, you know, these are people who are coming to an emergency department because they were concerned, because they were potentially exposed, perhaps wanted to be tested, perhaps had symptoms. Um, between 2019 and 2020, um, you know, we also saw increases in pneumonia. Yeah. Um, This is pneumonia that was not caused by tuberculosis, other specified and unspecified lower respiratory disease, respiratory failure. These are all codes that certainly could have been associated with COVID-19. And then of course, there was a diagnostic code that was added for confirmed COVID-19. And we saw large numbers of people coming and getting that diagnosis as well. The other category that increased that was not related, to respiratory infection directly was cardiac arrest and ventricular fibrillation. So that meaning um, you know that the heart has stopped or that there's an abnormal rhythm of the heart. Uh, that increase is concerning to us as well, and we're digging more into that one now
0: we still don't have a clear picture of how covid truly affects the body and i'm thinking specifically about those kind of cardiac arrest i mean is is that some kind of indicator that hey maybe this this virus is affecting the heart in some way
1: so we don't know the Answer to that question yet. It's a really important one and one that we're investigating, but I think that that is too soon to say. You know, when you mention the diagnostic coding, that's exactly right. So, you know, many people who come to an emergency department with signs and symptoms that are suggestive of COVID 19 will not necessarily get that diagnostic code. They won't be officially categorized that way. That code was just introduced on April 1st, and uptake may have differed across hospitals hospitals, across regions, across people who are doing the coding. There are so many more people who are coming in with things like fever and shortness of breath where, yes, certainly it could have been. We just can't say for sure. And so when we look at these data to um, really track the outbreak, we do it in both ways. We use the codes, but we also use the patient's own description of their symptoms and records in the text, really, that give us hints into what may be happening with that patient.
0: Talk with me a little bit about how you actually found this out, and, and maybe highlight some of the the limitations here, because I, I know you didn't hear from every emergency department in the country.
1: Yes, uh, that's exactly right. So what we did was, you know, take every diagnostic code, and there are many, many, many codes, and we didn't categorize themselves. We relied on a scheme that had already been developed by the Healthcare Cost and Utilization Project. So the goal is to make sure that things are grouped in a clinic meaningful way. So we have like with like within a category. Um, and yes, you know, there are Limitations of this work, we have um, we think about seventy three percent of visits throughout the United States, but that coverage isn't even, and so this isn't a picture of the entire United States. And then um, another one I think really important to mention is that we're constantly expanding the system more so now during the pandemic. We're bringing on more hospitals than we ever have before. We've added hundreds, and so we actually have more hospitals reporting to us in. 2020 than we had in 2019. So when we report that drop of 42%, that's likely on the low side.
0: This decrease in emergency department visits overall, it happened during the pandemic. Do we know enough to say it happened because of the pandemic?
1: Right. Um, So, you know, the data don't tell us what patients were thinking. They don't tell us why they made the decisions they did or why they didn't come in. Um, But we do know that we've seen this in the past in individual hospitals in certain places. Um, There are reports in the scientific literature about declines in visits at hospitals in Hong Kong that were dedicated to treating SARS patients. And so, you know, we know that there may be public concern about exposure to the Virus when they come to a hospital, and we want hospitals to address that by continuing to follow CDC guidance for infection prevention. And that means rapidly assessing everybody who comes into the hospital for signs and symptoms of COVID nineteen, um, limiting entrances to the hospital so that that screening is possible, and then once they have that information, setting up separate, well ventilated triage areas to separate people who have symptoms of COVID nineteen from those who do not.
0: What are the implications here, do you think, for the general public health? I mean, seeing this decline in, in emergency department visits, I think, can, can we say people are not getting care that they should be?
1: So in a, in a normal week in our system, we would see 2.1 million emergency department visits. And during this four-week period, that had declined all the way to 1.2 million visits. So that's 900,000 visits in just a week. And you're right. um, Those are many, many, many individuals. And so We want people to know that they should not hesitate to get emergency care for something like a heart attack or a stroke. We want people to know the symptoms, and we want them to call 911 and go to an emergency department for those life-threatening conditions. But we also want people to have more help in deciding when to go to an emergency department for other conditions where it might not be so clear cut. So we really want to see expanded access and use to triage lines where people can reach out and talk to a medical provider and really learn whether their symptoms require immediate care or whether they might be able to go to urgent care or to primary care. And on those lines, people can learn, okay, what are symptoms that are so serious that I cannot avoid them and I need to go in now? We really want people to be having those conversations so that people are not delaying care for conditions that really could result in death or permanent harm.
0: I'm wondering what this means for our general system of disease surveillance. Uh, The Centers for Disease Control uh, tracks every flu season, influenza-like illness. The agency has now started tracking COVID-like illness. When we think about that kind of larger surveillance, if we have this large decrease in emergency department visits, does it somehow harm our ability to track any kind of disease and thinking specifically about flu and and COVID? Well,
1: I think that the answer to that is yes and no. In the past, we had always evaluated these visits by percent. So the percent of people coming to an emergency department who have a particular condition. um, You know, today, that denominator of total visits is Wildly different than what we've seen in the past. And so the way that we're adapting to that is that we're really looking for these conditions both as counts and as percents. And as you say, it it isn't simple and it isn't clear cut. Um, You know, in January, CDC and state health departments across the country were really scrambling to find the best way to identify COVID 19 in US emergency departments. Um, You know, we know that a lot of diagnostic data is missing. We know that diagnostic data um, comes to us a little bit later. Sometimes it takes a week or 10 days to fill in. It's not as fast as our symptom data. We also know that our symptom data is a little bit imperfect, right? So if somebody is coming in with a fever and some upper respiratory symptoms, we have to try to separate that the best we can as you know what is more like COVID-19 and more like flu. And so when we report numbers to the public of COVID-like illness, it's our best effort to find that signal in the noise um, and to eliminate visits that aren't related and to try to include all the visits that are. We are getting much closer to be able to do that um, effectively. These signals are working. Um, You know, when visits began to increase in March, we clearly saw that signal in our data. So health departments across the country are using these data every day to look for resurgences, to look for potential targeted outbreaks. And we expect to continue that um, as we fight this pandemic.
0: We have all been so focused on the pandemic and COVID-19 um, for the last few months. But, but it seems like your report is really showing that there are these secondary effects that a pandemic can have on, on people's health.
1: Yes, that's right. You know, I think we're really at the very beginning of understanding what all of these downstream effects are and will be. Um, that's certainly an area that everybody, um, you know, across CDC and different areas of expertise is working on right now. And we hope to put out more and more information about that as we learn more. You know, I think in addition to affecting perhaps so many other health conditions, it will perhaps also change the way that we seek medical care in this country. You know, In addition to the expansion of these triage lines, we are really calling for the widespread expansion of virtual visits or what we call telemedicine for conditions that don't need immediate and in-person treatment. Um, We want people to have options where they can talk to a doctor where they're maybe not face-to-face. And I think it remains to be seen how uptake of that will persist once this is over.
0: I have conversations frequently with people about, well, when is this pandemic going to be over? How is this going to play out? How long are we going to be dealing with these kinds of after effects? I mean, when it when it comes to these downstream implications of this pandemic and our response to it, how do you think about that? I mean, is this something that we're going to see playing out decades from now, years from now? What's the kind of timescale here?
1: You know, I I truly don't know the answer to that question. It's certainly an interesting one. Um, you know, one benefit of our systems are that, you know, we get emergency department data on any condition. Uh, Anything that brings someone to an emergency room is something that we can assess. You know, and with our new laboratory data reporting systems throughout the country, state health departments are now getting complete laboratory results in the past oftentimes they received only the positive tests we now have this major uptick in reporting of all tests and you know through that um, both the emergency department data and the laboratory data we can look at things um, you know are people getting hiv tested during the pandemic um, are they being assessed for hepatitis c um, are they being vaccinated for vaccine preventable diseases um, you know and and we are just at the beginning of our understanding of about that, but I think that as the months go by, we'll begin to learn more and more about the other effects of this pandemic, um, you know, the direct effects, but also, as you say, the indirect effects.
0: Kathleen Hartnett is an epidemiologist at the CDC. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets in PR. Special thanks to Stephen Key. WABE's managing editor is Alex Helmick. Scott Wolfel is chief content officer. You can reach us with questions, comments, or controversy at washyourhands@wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app, where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing.